Oh Lord, we're so thankful for your watch care over us this past week. We're thankful, Lord, for another time that we have to spend in your holy word. And Lord, we just ask for a blessing of your Holy Spirit to please be upon us again. May you guide us, teach us from your word, and help us, O oh Father, that we might learn important lessons to apply to each of our lives today. Thank you, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome, friends. We are continuing our study and our series on the early kings, and we are in the midst of David's reign, and today we're going to look at the pinnacle of his reign. And, you know, King David, he's already brought the Ark of the Covenants back to Jerusalem, and God has blessed wonderfully. Israel had not seen such a celebration like this in a very long time, and God had favor, great favor with the people, and many blessings were poured out. People were sent home with food and wine and drinks as a reminder of God's great blessing upon each and every one of them. And as a result also, God had brought peace on the land of Israel. But what does David now decide to do next? He's not idle. He has plans, and this is his plan that we read here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 2. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. What did David mean by this when the ark of God was dwelling in curtains and he was dwelling in a house of cedar? David wanted to make a permanent dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant, for the Ark of God. He wanted to build a permanent sanctuary for God's, God's Ark and His presence and really all the furniture that it contained. The, the, the tent, the tabernacle, this had been a dwelling place for the sanctuary since the, the beginning when Moses was first instructed to build it in Exodus 25. And this had not changed even though the children of Israel had settled into the land of Canaan for a long time already. But now David had these plans to build this permanent structure. And how does Nathan the prophet respond upon hearing this? In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, Nathan says to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Nathan immediately gives his wholehearted support and approval. And he says, he goes so far as to say that the Lord is with him on this project and in his desire. However, when Nathan goes home that evening and he lays his bed to sleep, God comes to him in a vision, in a dream, and he talks to him about the decision that he gave to David. Let's continue reading verses 4 to 7. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? And then verse 12 and 13, And when thy days be fulfilled, 
that thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God comes to Nathan in a dream and he says, look, since the beginning, when, when I set up this tabernacle in a tent, have I asked anybody to go and build me a house of cedar? No, I haven't. And then God proceeds to tell Nathan that he needs to go back and tell David that no, he is not going to be the one that will build this earthly sanctuary, this permanent structure made out of wood where it would dwell in Jerusalem forever. That not him, it would not be David that would build this. However, he does say that his son, his seed after him, would build it. You know, friends, it's important to note that even Nathan, Nathan the prophet, someone whom God communicated with directly, even he jumped ahead of the Lord in this matter. He gave the approval and consent without first consulting God. And yes, in the matters of coming to battle that we saw in our last study, that David would come even to consult and ask God, should I go attack them? And even when they come again, he asked them again, God, should I go and attack them? Should I go out to battle against the Philistines? God gives him a different tactic, even though the, 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 the battle is the same in the same place with the same people. But David even found it important to seek God in this matter, Nathan, Nathan, pardon me, should have paused even just for a moment to pray to God, to ask him upon this matter. And you know, David, he wanted to build a house for God, a permanent dwelling place. This seemed like a good idea. It was not for his own glory that David was doing this. It was not exalting his pride and his own fame. There was no desire for self-glorification in any of this only desire that he had in his heart was the love of God that spurred David on in this motive and in this desire to go and do this. And so when he comes to Nathan, he has this innocent desire and purpose. However, God had other plans. And Nathan, he should have paused. You know, even though it was just the sanctuary, permanent dwelling place, he should have paused to seek counsel from God. You know, friends, it's possible to jump ahead of God even when it comes to holy and noble purposes. David had no evil intentions in his heart. He had no thoughts of selfishness in his heart that drove him to do this. He only had the very best intentions of God and His glory. But even then, it was important to seek God. You know, it didn't seem like a moral issue if he built the house of God or not, or if someone else would build it or not, but God's ways are always higher than ours, and his ways are always the best. So even when it comes to church matters, even when it comes to things that we have this good purpose, good desire to, to reach out and to witness and tell people about Jesus, it's still important that we pause. Pause to seek God in these matters, whether it's in the church or even our own personal lives, even though there's a good motive and a good desire that, that is pushing it forward, we've got to seek His direction. We've got to seek His approval. We've got to seek counsel from God. So even though Nathan now comes back to David and says, no, 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 it's not going to be you, God does give some promises to David. First, God tells him that his son would be the one that would build this permanent dwelling place the sanctuary for the ark of God. 
a promise to David that his son would sit on the throne, that his seed would not end with him as it did with Saul. But David would have a son that would come after, that even after he passes away, his seed would remain. And you know, that was a wonderful promise to know that his children and his legacy would continue on even after he passed on. And secondly, what God also gives to David, even though he says, I'm not going to let you build the sanctuary, he also promises that in verse 13, his kingdom would be established forever. And he re-emphasizes it again in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So God doesn't give just the promise of one son that would continue after him, but he gives the promise that his throne would be, his seed would be established forever, that succeeding generations beyond him would continue to sit on the throne and to guide the children of Israel. So God did say no to David because, not, not because he had done something wrong, because he was living in sin, no. What was the reason that God gave to David as to why he was not to build the sanctuary, a permanent dwelling place made of cedar for the ark of God and the dwelling place of God? What was the reason that God gave? Well, in 1 Chronicles 22, verses 8 and 9, we read this. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. What was the reason that God gave that, hey, David, you cannot build this house of cedar for me for a dwelling place? It was simply because David was a man of war, that he'd shed much blood. It was a fact. It was nothing that David could deny, but it didn't make him a bad man, a sinful man. But this was simply the reason that God gave him. But in contrast to this, David being a man of war, the man and his son that will come after him, he would be a man of of peace. He would be the one that would build the temple. And, and God went so far to say that his name would be called Solomon. So God even gave the name of that next son that would sit upon the throne. And so upon hearing this, rather than brooding over the fact that, oh, David was denied this privilege and he was rejected from building this house of cedar for the sanctuary, for God's dwelling place, what did David do? You know, many of us, we see that closed door. We might have been discouraged. We might have been upset, but not so with David. What does he do after this? 2 Samuel 7, 25 and 26. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servants and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. You know, David, he praised God. And not just that, he said, let your word be established. As you have spoken, let it be said. And yes, he was happy with this, with this 
decision that God had made, even though he was not to be the one to build the sanctuary, God gave him even greater promise. You'll have a son that will build it, and not only that, your seed will continue forever, forever. And so David didn't just stop there though. He praises God, he's so happy with the decision, he's fine with it, but what else does David do? First Chronicles 22, verses 14 to 16. Now behold, in my trouble, I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, and a thousand thousand talents of silver, and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, that thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber, and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. This was in the later days when Solomon, he had already been born, and David is giving him a charge. And what, what did David do? He had gathered all the materials, gold, silver, the stone, timber. He had even gathered all the workers. As much as possible, David prepared what he could for his son Solomon so that when he came in to build the temple of God, it would be an easy process. He gathered so much that it was without number. You see, David was just as excited as Solomon would be to build that temple. And even though he was not permitted by God to go ahead and fulfill that dream of building this glorious structure, he did as much as he could. He did as much as he could to prepare and to prop up his son, you know, and say, look, son, I've gathered everything. You don't need to go and source any materials. He did what he could to help his son be ready when the time came for him to build. And you know, friends, sometimes it's so easy for us just to give up and get angry at God when things don't go the way we planned it or the way that we wanted it or what we had desired in our hearts. And especially when God says no to things that are good, we don't understand sometimes and we get upset. But even though God closed this door to David, he gave so many promises. And so when things don't go our way, friends, let us learn to be like David. Let's praise God for what he has blessed us with, for what he has allowed us to do. And let us learn to see the silver lining in God's answer. And then more than that, let us do all that we can in the limits and the boundaries of what God says we can do to what capacity he has given to us that surely one might water, one might plant, but at the end it is God that gives the increase, right? And so even though David had been called a man of war by God, there is much that we can learn from him that is noble and wise and even tender-hearted. His heart was fully with God. His thoughts were in tune with God and they were, on, they were focused on him all the time. And what we read is just such an example in regard to wanting to build the temple of God. And even what we'll look at next is also such a great example of David's character and what he went through. So let's keep reading, shall we? As we're moving on from this little chapter of the building of the temple, now what happens next? 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness, show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
You know, as peace had come upon the land and he now had time to kick back, he was thinking of his friend, Jonathan. And he wanted to still remember him and honor him by seeing if there was anyone left of Saul's house that he could show kindness to. And you know what? There was. Verses 2-7. to seven. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel of Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Sure enough, there was somebody. His name, Mephibosheth. And he was a son of Jonathan, but yet he was lame in his feet. And so Jonathan calls him and he brings him. And Mephibosheth must have been scared because, you know, Saul was the enemy of David. But all David did was show kindness. He said, you will eat at my table forever. But why was he lame? What had happened? You see, in 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4, we read, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So now, for the sake of Jonathan, David wanted to show kindness to the house of Saul. He didn't know if this son liked him or not. He did not know who he was, but all for the sake of his friend. He was now going to show that kindness and extend that favor to the rest of the family, that he would even restore all the land back to Mephibosheth that belonged to Saul and even Jonathan. And we also read 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Mephibosheth would dwell in the king's palace and eat at the table of the king for the rest of his life. And Ziba, Saul's servant, would be tasked with taking care of Mephibosheth forever as well. And you know, this is a really short story and a seeming break from everything else. But there are important lessons for us to learn here, even in this simple act of kindness showed by David to the house of Saul. You see, David, he represents the Father in heaven. And Jonathan, he represents Christ. Though he's dead, yes, but for the sake of Jonathan, David is willing to show kindness and mercy and gratitude to the rest of Saul's lineage because of Jonathan. And you know, so it is for the sake of Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. And for the sake of Christ, we have been, we have been given a second chance in life. 
for the sake of Christ. All these spiritual blessings come from the Father in heaven down to us because of Jesus Christ. We are Mephibosheth. We are lame. We are cut down with sin. We are not perfect. But for the sake of Jonathan, for the sake of Christ, the Father is willing to show that love and kindness to each and every one of us. You see, it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Father in heaven who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. How? In Christ. It is through Christ that the blessings of heaven come upon all of us. We also read in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14 that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through who? Through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessings that have come upon this world, friends, and to each and every one of us, have personally come through the man, Jesus Christ. And this is that beautiful analogy that we see in David's interaction with Mephibosheth for the sake of Jonathan. And so that's the second story, and it seems a bit disjointed, but this is what we see in the course of of what the Bible reveals to us. But then now, we come to another story. We're looking at three stories today, and this is that third story in the reign of David, at least at this time. Let's keep reading. 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 to 2. And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanun his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. You know, David, he simply wanted to pay respects since the father had been kind to David. However, this kindness was misunderstood. Let's keep reading. 2 Samuel 10, verses 3 to 4. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan, their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city, and to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Wherefore Hanun took David's servants, and shaved off one half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. You know, friends, it's understandable that the the heathen would think like this, that those of the world would, would misunderstand the motives and the kindness of the Christian. That they he thought that David was sending spies just to spy out their land and their kingdom, and so that he could come in and know how to how to conquer them and what were the weaknesses of the kingdom. But you know, friends, This same sort of misunderstanding also even exists, not just in the world, but even between brothers and brothers or brothers and sisters or sisters and sisters within the church. Yes, this sort of misunderstanding even exists between Christians today. Sometimes the motive is pure, but those that are on the other side don't see it that way. And we need to be so careful with our interaction with each other that we don't allow evil and negative thoughts to come between us so that Often, you know, we harbor these negative feelings and negative thoughts for no good reason. That the other person had a a good intention to come and speak to us or spend time with us or, or do something for us or with us. And we have these negative and evil thoughts. And as a result, many 
in the church cannot even see eye to eye with each other and we react wrongly as well. But that's what's taking place as David, all he wanted to do was show kindness. And so he sends all these men back humiliated. Half their beards are, are shaved and their, 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 their clothes are ripped up. But before David even has a time to react, what do the Ammonites do? 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 5 to 8. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hide the Syrians of Bethrehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Makkah, a thousand men, and of Ishtob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men, and the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Zobah and of Rehob and of Ishtob and Makkah were by themselves in the field. You know, expecting that David would retaliate and fight against them. The Ammonites go out and hire all these Syrians and so that they had this vast army to come against David. And David, he would react and send his mighty men. And, you know, based upon what we studied in the last lesson, I'm sure David went and counseled with God, but he would send his mighty men with Joab at the forefront. And what would happen? 2 Samuel 10, 13 to 14, And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him unto the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai, and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. Joab and the mighty men, they would overcome this united alliance between the Ammonites and the Syrians. However, the Syrians would come back and fight against them again with an even greater army. So they, they fled the first time, but now they would come back again. Let's keep reading. 2 Samuel 10, 15 to 19. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together and had had a razor sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobak, the captain of the hosts of Hadarezer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. You know, David, the second time, he saw the importance of this second battle, that he himself would go together with the armies of Israel and fight against the Syrians. And the Syrians would be met with such a great defeat that Israel would rule over them and they would become subservient to them. The dangers that threatened the kingdom and the nation of Israel with destruction proved to be the very thing and the very means which would help it rise to unprecedented greatness and great peace would come upon the whole nation of Israel. And you know what we see here, friends? The promise that had been given to Abraham hundreds of years ago 
would now finally be fulfilled in the time of David. What we read here in Genesis 15 to 18, God says, In that same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And the borders of the nation of Israel that had been enlarged under the, under the rulership of King David would be realized in that promise that God gave to Abraham. Though Abraham would never see the, the fulfillment of that promise, God's word was sure. God would come through and fulfill that which was given hundreds of years before. David, he had honored God, and now God is now returning back and honoring him, giving him peace in the land, finally fulfilling his word that was given to Abraham hundreds of years ago. You know, friends, God never, ever forgets his promises. God even still desires to bless each and every one of us today. He desires to make us the head and not the tail. He wishes to make each and every one of us a a spectacle to the world to be seen of all men, not to be worshipped by man, but that through us, the name of God might be glorified and exalted, that people might see the glory of God. You know, God's word is sure. And David took God's word at the very beginning, that even though it was not in favor of him to build a temple, he still trusted in the word of God and did all that he could. God did for David all these things because David was faithful to him. God honored him because David honored God. His heart was with God. He was walking with God. He desired only the best and the glory for God. And it was obvious when he brought that ark back. And it was obvious when he had this desire to make this resting place for God. But God said, no, David did not fight. He was not upset. He was not angry. He was still willing to follow God and be faithful to him, even though his desires were not met. And today, friends, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is your thoughts wholly fixed on God like David's were today? Today is your heart with God in all that you say and do. You know, friends, let us not only desire the blessings and the glories that God gives us, but let us also desire the sincere and faithful heart that David had in his relationship with God. Then we can be assured that heaven is with us and that God will fulfill in and through us his will to bless us and also bless the whole world. You know, that seed that would remain forever is a spiritual blessing that comes upon each and every one of us today. God desires us to continue that legacy that was started by King David, who was a man after God's own heart. Today, let us be that man and woman after God's own heart as well, that truly the enemies of God would fall before us, that the peace of God would not come upon only us as well, but upon all the people around us as well. Let us be that blessing to the nation of Israel, spiritual Israel within our church, within our vicinity, but to our neighbors who do not even know God as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, O Lord, you've given us such a high and holy trust. The blessings of David, you've given to us as well. The promises of God that you've given in your word are a yes and a yes, not just for David alone, but even for us. Help us, Lord. Help us that we might be that blessing to other people. Help us to have a heart of faith just like David did. 
Help us, Lord, to have our thoughts always centered upon you. May you please guide each of us, Lord. Help us not to just seek for the blessing only, but give us a heart that desires spiritual things, that desires heavenly things. Give us a heart that would push away the love of the world, that we might love Jesus and you more and more every day. Help us, Lord, to dig deeper in your word. Build our faith, strengthen it, sanctify us, and guide us is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. God bless you. And I'm so thankful that you could spend this time again and study with us until we meet again. May God watch over you and be with you. Goodbye for now.